0: There is a pre-due diligence that you would do before acquiring the site and then you would do a proper due diligence where you're you know, running off to the count, not just to the council, but also to the services, etc. Seeing where the legal point of discharges are, for example. How much of that should be expected from an architect up front you know, when you're doing a pre-site acquisition? Hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Buy Property Podcast. Today... I have an architect on my podcast. I'll very quickly introduce her, Emma Holmes. Emma Holmes is from VR Forma, an amazing architect. I've seen some of her work and this is truly inspiring. She's also an influencer and so you usually don't see an architect and influencer coming in together. So amazing, Emma. Emma, welcome to the show. How are you today, Emma? Hi, thank you so much for having
1: me. I'm great.
0: And talk to me, VR Forma. You know, what's the story behind that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Business names are always a little bit of a funny one, I think. You've kind of just got to feel out something and and get what comes to you. But I like the idea of the word form. You know, it's so integrated in everything we do in in the building industry. And I think that we are sort of just got added on at one point in time because I like the idea of the collective. And I think everything we do in the building process is, you know, collaborative. It's part of a team. So um, that's sort of where the name, the origin of the name was from. I think I wanted to be so many strange things but I've got a mum who works at Bunnings and then my dad is like the very computer technical kind of sided one so I got a lot of my sort of computer skills and things from him and you know just the maths and all of that stuff and then I was always playing doing little DIYs with mum and Eventually in school graphic design actually we had a subject where you got exposed to using ArchiCAD, which I no longer use if I'm a Revit girl now, but ArchiCAD back then. And I started drawing up house plans. And at the time we were moving from um, Sydney to the Gold Coast and my parents were building a home and I was just obsessed with drawing over it and trying to figure out different configurations and yeah, the passion just kind of grew from there.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. And I've, I've seen that a, a lot of architects are good drawers, right? You know, they have this, this art with the pencil. So it's amazing. It's amazing what you guys do. Now, before we get into the topic today, let's talk about, and so let's take a step back. The topic for today, we are talking about architect versus draftee. Okay, so who's an architect, who's a draftee? Let's take us through, you know, what does an architect do versus what does a draftee do?
1: Yeah. It's funny to me always that the two kind of exist. Like I always would have just thought somewhere along the line, I'm not sure where that separation happened, but there is the fact that we do have draftees and architects. And me personally, as an architect, that involved, you know, getting certain finishing marks at school. Then you head off to university. I did a four-year Bachelor of Design and a one-year Master's of Architecture. And then you'd think it'd end there, but it doesn't. And after that, you kind of do your two years of practical working and like keeping a logbook of your hours to make sure that you've you know, got all the correct experience in documentation phases, in site visits, and then you pay all this money, go off and do a um, test and an interview and all of these things. And at the end of that, if you're successful, you get registered with the Architects Board in your respective state. So for me, I'm ARBV in Victoria, but that does allow you still to practice in other states as long as you kind of get your registration in those states as well. So you could kind of work Australia-wide if the project should take you there. I've certainly done some projects back home up in Queensland because I love Brisbane and the Gold Coast as well. I and mean, then my family is still up there, so it's a nice opportunity to travel. But yeah. And then I guess a draftee is sort of the other side. It's like TAFE um for I think two years and then you're kind of just off out into the world. And I, th- I feel like the main difference for me is that a lot of draftees work for themselves straight away. Whereas for me, I was always working for someone else up until the inception of my business. So you know, I'd seen a few people that went ahead and did drafting and and yeah, they always just kind of had that really on the ground practical experience. And then I was working on, you know, large scale projects or like, you know, very high in residential and sort of getting exposure to that stuff, but always kind of being mentored on the way up. So it's a little bit of a different career pathway, I would say.
0: Definitely. And I, I truly believe that when you think about uh, architect versus draftee, it's a true difference between a, a builder versus a chippy, right? Basically, that's how I see it, right? That, you know, one person is a lot more experienced, you know, they bring a lot more on the table, you know, they understand the risk code a lot more in a lot more detail. Whereas drafty is known for that, you know, gray, shady tax accountant, you know, that would cut corners and encroach and test out various different councils to basically get you what you want to. And, you know, look, I mean, don't no disrespect to any draftees out there. Some of them are really good friends of mine, to be honest. But it's important to understand that, you know, they both do coexist in in the same ecosystem. And so let's talk about a bit about the benefits of using each one of them and let's kick off from an architect side of things. So, you know, you've talked about experience, you know, how much experience does an architect bring compared to a draftee, you know, to a particular deal?
1: Yeah, I mean... It's, again, it's hard to say because it's sort of individually focused. So, I mean, you could have some really exceptional design focused um, drafties and then you could have some architects that are kind of just doing pretty stock standard stuff as well. But in my experience, the way that I think a service-based provider should be able to explain it is I always say builders build, draftees draft and architects design. And that's kind of the easiest summary I can give in terms of what you might be looking for because it's not to say that, you know, you always need an architect on your project. Maybe if it's something really simplistic, then you could easily just go with the draftee. They're gonna get you, you know, your plans and and everything approved because they go through that process on a regular basis. Whereas for me, when clients come to me, it may be a really aspirational um, investor project where they want to do something really beautiful. For example, I've got some townhouses at the moment and they want to do something special like they want to elevate their own profile as a developer but they also want to be providing stock into the marketplace that is really going to attract a higher price point um, and also a little bit more of a sophisticated buyer so then we kind of go into you know the real design phase of we're not just putting you know a powder room near the entry and a little study whacked in a corner we're thinking about what is the view to the yard what's the amenity of that space what's the connection throughout the house and you know, as a result, like how are we getting the best result for the occupant, whether they be a renter or a purchaser in the end. And yeah, just kind of spending a lot more time researching, you know, materials, design, um, even like glazing types and things and and sort of always learning and, and kind of keeping on that forefront of what
0: is possible. It's, w- it's very true. I mean, y- if you think about this, uh, you would see named architects and architectural designs as to, okay, that, you know, this house is, you know, designed by a particular architect X, Y, and Z, right? Whereas you don't see named draftees, right? You don't see, oh, this house has been, you know, designed by, or you shouldn't, whether you is designed or drafted by this, this named draftee, right? So it's a, it's a very sort of black and white comparison in a lot of these things when you are trying to create a home an architect would bring in that special lens to a lot of these things versus a drafty where it's a cookie cutter approach. It's about, you know, fitting in, it's about getting the yield. And so, of course, you know, there is a big price difference between the two as well, right? You know, while we're talking about creativity, while we're talking about knowledge, you know, how much can they differ when you talk about pricing?
1: I mean, sometimes it could potentially be double. It just really depends on, you know, the depth of the the offering and, and where you're trying to take it. So, If it's someone's individual home, and especially if it sits up the high end, it might be a percentage based fee on the construction price. So you can really start to see it kind of creep up a lot if someone is doing a lot of specific inclusions, because the more really niche or one-off kind of things there are, then the more drawings we have to do to really explain that to the builder. And that's kind of where you're leaning on an architect to be able to do that, because that's what we love. You know, we'll spend hours and hours doing research and development and testing and trying and you know, meeting with material suppliers or like a precast company and like all of these different little things that it's kind of not visible on the outside. And I think that's why people can struggle with the the price sometimes because they just kind of get handed a plan or a pack of drawings or a render and they can sort of struggle to see the value without understanding. Like it's like the little, you know, iceberg picture when it's underwater and it's like there's a lot more to it than the little tip that you're seeing on the top.
0: Yes. And look, I mean, my experience with the drafty versus architect has always been that a drafty never uh, envisions the true scope of work, you know, because they don't realize the amount of effort that it's going to require. And so while at face value, you know, they might be sometimes cheaper, you know, as they start adding costs, they realize, oh, sure, you know, we need to do this and we need to do this and we need to do, d- do that. And, you know, the time that is wasted in, you know, going back and forth with the drafty versus an architect is something that people Don't put a lot of value to right you know i've used architect where you know you explain them once and they come up with a better design than what you were thinking in the head and then you know same experience with an with a drafter you sit with them you explain them once and they call you 10 times and then they still bring in a design which is crap and then you're going back and forth back and forth you know trying to figure out as to how to massage it and it's it's an interesting sort of dilemma right because i always say this when you look at the blank canvas of a land with no house on it You know, the first design is an anchor point, right? You know, as soon as you put a first design, then everything happens within those four walls, right? People are like, oh, move this here, move this there, move this there. And so all of a sudden, you come up with this, you know, Frankensteinian design. Be like, well, this is why, wait a minute, let me step away from this and think about this. And I think that's where architects provide a lot more value. You know, they are always holistic in their experience and thinking. They're not just moving things around for the sake of moving things around. You know, they're creating that, you know, that mood. Uh, when you think about, you know, entering into the house and how is it going to feel and what is the wow and, you know, all of these things definitely come into the space.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: What about the speed? You know, do you think architects are a lot, uh, a bit slower than the da- the draftees?
1: Oh, uh, look, I think there's a little bit of a misconception out there sometimes that like, oh my Lord, they're taking weeks and weeks to do this thing. And oh, we've already seen the plan and like, it looks good to me. Let's go. And it's like, we're, we love what we do. Like I, I really, really love investigating. Like you say, where's the window and specifically what size is it and, you know, what height and what does it look like and how's that going to, you know, align with the sight line through the house to the backyard from that those sort of connection points. So, I, I mean, I do think it probably takes a little bit longer, but again, it's 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 one of those like you get what you pay for, like you are paying to go on that journey and and be a part of that process and those, those sort of back and forths as well, you know, the workshops along the way is probably the thing that I see is missing uh, sometimes with the drafty because people just get, they give a brief and they just get handed a plan and they're like, well, yep, I guess I did ask for four bedrooms and like, there they are, you know. And whereas for me, I'm like, okay, like here's option A, option B, option C, like this is what I think is really good for, you know, the kids area. But then I had this thought for the master room and you really kind of invite the, you, the person, you know, the client to like come on that journey with you. And it's like, tell me how you're going to use the space. And then that's probably why the speed you know, is a little bit slower in some of those phases because we're very research heavy and we're very documentation heavy.
0: That's true, that's true. And look, I mean, my experience is that I believe that architects are perfectionists. And so they almost take insult you know, when you know, it's their design being questioned or you know, because they've put in so much effort in there. And look, there is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong being a perfectionist because you're trying to bring out that perfect product you know, that ticks all the boxes, right? I think from a developer's perspective, time is money because uh, the more they wait, the more money that they're losing, you know, from their perspective, you know, let's just roll this out, let's just move on. From an owner occupied perspective, I can understand that they're emotionally attached to a lot of these things. You know, there is that good balance that, you, you know, we need to create between, you know, how much time should we spend on a particular design. I'll, I'll share this one example, and this is, this is a very funny example. This architect, amazing guy that I've worked with in the past. And we were, uh, we were doing f- uh, for Thanos' design, you know, slightly upmarket design. And so he pitched four different designs to me. And I kid you not, I'd be like, this looks exactly the same, Ed. This looks, I don't know where the difference is. Can you please point this out to me? And he's like, no, this is the moot, you know, look at the facade. You know, I've changed this and the lighting comes in differently. And so, yes, you know, I can understand that, you know, that, that knowledge is there, that experience is there, that creativity is there sometimes that balance of the speed goes towards the drafty a lot more. And again, you know, there are pros and cons to both of them. What about the handholding, you know, when you're dealing with the councils when you're dealing with, you know, town planners coming into play, when you're going to hat, you know, what do you think about some of those things?
1: I mean, it can be a little bit of a journey with those things sometimes as well. You can kind of identify early on if a project's going to have a, a couple of layers of complexity to it. So, I think it's just good to keep everybody in the loop of the reality of like, if you make this decision, this could result in, you know, getting held up in planning or sort of being questioned a little bit and having to go back and forth or, you know, potentially go in for secondary consent if you're, you know, updating things. So I would kind of try to let people know those pause points. You know, it's like at this point, we need to have solidified this decision. And if you go and change it, it could have this ramification. So I think the handholding bit, you know, it's kind of, going to be a part of the process for either either person really like you do want to be involved throughout and that sort of can follow through if you choose to do contract admin and things on site as well that you want to give people the reassurance that you're not going to drop the ball and you are going to be there along the way and the way I try and explain it to my clients is um, you know you have your own job whether you be let's say a lawyer or an accountant or whatever it is that you do and You know all the ins and outs of that, and I pay you when I require those services because I don't, and that's not my everyday. So it feels really scary to me when I hear, I see a planner's report, you know, four pages deep, come back with all of these, you know, about building surveyor saying change this, change this, and whatever it might be. And whereas I try and say to them like, this is so normal to me, like I see this stuff all the time. So you know, it's really not a problem, and I try and sort of walk them through and explain you know, what this means or what the knock-on effects could be and and what impact that might have on our program. And I think just having that, being able to reassure people of your knowledge base is
0: is, um, really important. Definitely. And look, I mean, people do look up at the architects quite a bit, right? Especially like, you know, mom and dad developers, you know, I call them knob developers. Yeah. You know, they are doing it for the first time. They think that, you know, um, an architect is the answer to their prayers, right? Basically they're giving them everything, right? Whereas architects Stops when the design finishes and the civil takes over, and the you know all the engineering takes over, and the, you know that's the cutoff, right? So, but you know the expectations from the architects are quite ridiculous in a lot of these instances where you know you're not only you're expecting them to do town planning and understanding the risk code, you're also un- expecting expecting them to you know negotiate with the council and you know respond to the rfis and take it Find through the courts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so it's everything. You know, do a feasibility. You know, I've, I've you know I've seen people asking architects to do feasibilities as well, and so. Where do you draw the line, Emma? You know, where do you think that, okay, this is where the line is drawn? And of course, you know, not wearing multiple hats because I can understand and appreciate that a lot of architects are developers too. A lot of architects, you know, could be builders too. And, but, you know, as a pure, you know, hand-to-heart architect, where do you draw the line?
1: I've got a little bit of a hybrid background experience because I actually did used to work for a developer at a point in time. I and mean, I remember when I made that decision, everyone was like, oh, she's gone to the dark side. Like, <laughs> they're like, you can't work for the big baddies. And I was thinking, but I want to learn the process because they had, you know, in-house real estate, there was landed acquisitions, um, you know, structural engineer was sitting over there, builders sitting over there. And it really gave me that kind of opening to understand, you know, budget, intention, all of that kind of things for different scales of projects. And like you say, different people, am I working for? A developer am I working for a first time you know investor developer or is this someone who you know is wanting to live in this home and once you can kind of mentally separate that out then you can figure out your level of ego that you're going to drag into the situation you know because if it's sort of like that initial feasibility study where someone's really just wanting to know like hey I found this block of land do you think this is even worth it can we subdivide it like what's the general feel then I've got a couple of builders uh, that I have really great relationships with and maybe that's a slight rarity as well, but like I really do enjoy it because I just want to know everything about my industry and I think it helps me out because I've got people that I can just call up and say, this is roughly the level of finish and the size and, you know, the suburb and what I'm thinking. And they'll say rough square meterage cost is this, you know, I can look up all the zoning and planning restrictions with council and sort of do a little envelope study on the site. And that's just something I even offer as like a separate service as well, because I realize some people are just like putting the feelers out and they don't know if they want to buy it, but they just want someone with that little bit more knowledge to be able to come in, look at it, tell them what you think, what yields you can get. You know, for example, you obviously know the the sort of maximum site coverage percentages and things that can come up from time to time. So It's like you could, you know, have all the ambition in the world to subdivide something into a lot of, you know, three, four, whatever, but the reality might be a little bit different. So you can kind of just get that initial feel and I guess costing and things like that to help you make the decision. Ultimately, it's on the person though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But when you're thinking about true architect, would you expect them to do all of that? Or this is just something that, you know, you do because of course, you know, you bring in a, a much more vast experience. Yeah, has your experience been as an architect and your fe- fellow architects? You know, would they bring all of this into the same equation?
1: In, in my experience, yeah. I mean, um, even when I was working in high end Resi, there'd be, you know, people wanting to renovate a home. And yet again, it's like, can we just do the envelope study or a developer doing an apartment project? Like, we would do the initial feasibility. And then maybe with someone else um, in the property industry who's got a bit more of an understanding of like, you know let's say three bedders sell really well in this area and then we'd be like cool so we will base our initial feasibility off how many three bedders could we fit in or you know what is a reasonable amount of capital to invest in a home in this area if you're not gonna if it's not your forever space um and and understanding the risk code and and all of those things is a pretty standard part of the job anyway so i kind of call it like the upfront due diligence on a project and at that point, then we'll decide if you want to continue, you know, with the concept um, and if it, if it feels possible and right for you.
0: And so when you talk about due diligence, let's go a bit deeper into that. There is a pre-due diligence that you would do before, acquisition, before acquiring the site. And then you would do a proper due diligence where you're, you know, you're, you know, running off to the count, not just to the council, but also to the services, et cetera, seeing where the legal point of discharges are, for example. How much of that should be expected from an architect up front, you know, when you're doing a pre-site ac- acquisition, you know, and some of these, you know, I, I understand that you would expect an architect to produce a massing diagram for you, but, you know, what is the level of due diligence that you would expect an architect to perform?
1: I think from from my experience or or in particular, what I offer is usually a reasonably comprehensive report that's... You know, looking at the titling, the zoning, any setbacks and site coverage requirements, and all of those things, building restrictions. You know, is it in a flood zone, a termite zone? Um, is there street trees on the site that are going to, you know, be in the way of where we're thinking a crossover would be? There's, there's that sort of layer of it. Um, I think the very quick and dirty one that is just if someone calls me up is is literally the very basic version of that, where you're like, here's a rough envelope, but like again, it's kind of with a big fat disclaimer of like, this is just roughly what I think you could fit on this side, And then if you want to do a deep dive, we can go and meet on site, have a quick review of of everything there. But even sometimes you you just don't know and you get the land survey back and there's something really unexpected or, you know, maybe an easement that wasn't on the title or it wasn't identified in council or it's a little bit complicated where the services cross over and you just kind of have to take it as it comes. Sometimes there's there's always a solution for everything. It's kind of one of the the fun and frustrating parts of this industry is like working with other services consultants like a civil or someone who is really specialized and can kind of, you know, again, that's their that's their daily bread and butter. Like they get it. And I always say to encourage the clients, like get the right people on your team as early as possible.
0: Yes, yes. 100% and I completely agree. I think, you know, the right architect, the right structural engineer and getting the builder involved up front. You know, does wonders this for you because you realize um, you are fine tuning the you know cost from upfront perspective as well. You're understanding the civils a lot better. You're designing a much more efficient house together with a better design. So, great comments. Thank you very much. One last thing, and this is more in relation to the town planning side of things. How do you differ? Uh, and people have this confusion. People don't understand town planners at all. You know, who are town planners and how do they differ from architects?
1: I I mean, town planners are either standalone people or someone, you know, within the council. So I'm always amazed that you're able to just ring up the council a thousand times and harass them or even have a pre app meeting and things to kind of run over all the rules. But
0: I don't envy their job. <laughs> oh,
1: I know, I know. But I do love that it's available, you know, because there's you're working with different councils all the time you just never know what you're going to get because I can work anywhere in Victoria so I'm always just going to be looking up you know the local rules for this place and sometimes I would really recommend to a client like get this planner because they know this council they might have even have you know contacts there they've lodged plans with them and they know the things that are sticking points for you know this particular area like if they're a little bit anti-development or if they're they're quite smooth with wanting to you know see a bit of urban infill and that way you can kind of really know upfront like how much detail do I need to go in and even potentially if you had a planner on your team to do a review of my documentation before we submit so that the process can just be as smooth as possible because you know we're already locked into those you know time frames or like 90 days or whatever it is that they're going to take to get back to you and the last thing you want is to have missed a note or you know misinterpreted something and there's a lot to know as an architect. There is just an abundant knowledge that... You need to know everything all the time and, and sometimes it's honestly just not possible and you're better off having a planner to say, right, this is, you know, X, Y and Z for this location and all of the things that you should be yeah. considering.
0: And there are certain sort of, um, I call them landmines, you know, that, you know, the council's sort of own records would have them there or or in their own sort of risk code, not the statewide risk code, but, you know, each council has their own statutory policies that they would follow. And so a local town planner does wonders, you know, when you're, you know, dealing with some of these issues as well. But it's interesting, you know, I've, I've seen this trend that a lot of developers have started bypassing town planners and just being completely dependent on the architect and, you know, you know, taking the application through the architect to the council and then responding to the RFIs and they would only include town planners when needed. What do you think of that?
1: It's an interesting one because I feel like the industry for a while there went the totally opposite way. Like the architect was, you know, the principal contractor, like we were doing everything. And, you know, that's kind of historically been the way, you know, you administer the contract and, you know, you get all the consultants and you're the sort of head consultant and they all report into you. And then there was a while there where it became really like design and construct. And we'd just take it to like DD phase and drop it off at the builder and Then, you know, they'd manage everything out of it and, and that'd be that. And now I feel like people have seen enough of that product go out to market that they flipped back in the other direction and they want heavy involvement from the architect. And I guess sometimes that is reflected in the fee and why that can be a little bit more expensive because... There's, you know, more risk. There is more things to do. That's Um, project management as well, right? Yeah. I mean, because even project managers is a a whole other aside. It's like if it's a large-scale project and someone has their project manager involved, then, you know, they're the ones tracking and sort of pushing on us to like, we need this documentation packed by this date. And you're sort of just thinking like, you know, sometimes sure, but other times I'm like, all right, who is this person? Like they don't understand the process and yet they're kind of pressing, like if you don't have this by Friday and I'm like, well, The other engineers haven't got back to us. So, we don't have the information to show you if everyone isn't collaborating effectively. So,
0: there's a lot of dependencies, I I definitely do admit, you know, between various different parties, you know, especially when you are, you know, submitting a council application or, you know, providing an RFI because, you know, there might be various different consultants involved. What is the most value that the town planner would provide to an architect in the process? Is it just a review or is it also providing how to navigate through the council and managing the relationships?
1: I think a lot of that, yeah. Like even when I did used to work at that developer, we actually had an in-house planner who had used to work at a council, and it was fantastic having him to review absolutely everything because again there's quite a lot of things that you really don't want to gloss over like critical dimensions or notes about certain things and, you know, taking care of overshadowing and overlooking and there's just so much going on with the design at that phase that you don't really want to be locked into something and then sort of realize later down the line that you've you've missed the mark and you haven't allowed for something. So, yeah, I mean, a planner could do so much, but I think just one of their core values is yeah, absolutely managing that relationship and I mean, this whole industry is is relationship management and and you want to be able to work through conflict in a constructive way because realistically there are going to be some things, you know, that crop up and you just want to be able to have someone in your corner that can manage that in a really calm and, and effective manner because to them, again, it's it's not much. But to me, you might be like, oh my gosh, we've got this massive issue on this thing and how are we going to get
0: through this? Look, I, I truly believe that, you know, uh, this team of planner and architect together, uh, especially in a local setting where, you know, they work with a particular council was does one this because you know, they would both have a relationship with the council and uh, I've seen them you know, playing good cop, bad cop as well, right? You know, where a planner goes in uh, as a good cop working with the council and the architect is like, oh, I'm going to push the council a bit more and see, you know, what else can I get? And I think that relationship works really, really well. And, uh, you know, the cost of engaging an architect, cost of engaging a town planner together with an architect this is not massive, right? I think it takes away a lot of risk away, you know, that 1500 to 2000 to even $3,000 that you're paying for a single review is worth every dollar, you know, not just to provide you the comfortableness, but saving you in front of time in relation to, to you know, making sure that the architect is, you know, on point and on check as well. And it helps the architect, you know, drive a much more confidence, you know, in the, in the application process in itself, you know. I've done mistakes in my own prior life as well, where, you know, we engage the time planner way later in the pace. And we realized that, oh, you know, this has triggered secondary consents on a lot of these, you know, plans that we had because, you know, we were trying to push a lot of these things. So, it's always important to understand that, you know, you're bringing definitely an A team to a lot of these things.
1: Completely, yeah. The the silence is a bit deafening from Council. If your application gets held up, you know, you just think, oh, there must be something on there if we're not getting these
0: stamp drawings back. So, any parting words, Emma, before we close this episode in relation to architect versus drafty? Are you a biased person? Are you going to say architect does the best and the draftees are not so much and you know?
1: Of course. <laughs> Look, I mean, I studied for a reason and and I really do love what I do. Um I think again, there's there's someone out there for everybody. Um, and it's just about finding the right fit and the right person for your project. But I always welcome those kind of conversations and I sort of have, you know, a little booking system on my site where people can just jump in for minute chat and I'm like just come and chat to me see if it works for you what the offering would be ask all of those questions that you know it's like there's no stupid questions it's like if you are wondering what the good fit is for you and and if you think you might want an architect then don't be afraid of those kind of misconceptions around the pricing because you you might be really surprised and especially if you kind of think of those spaces that you walk into there is in my opinion a pretty vast difference between Walking into a home that's just been drafted versus walking into a beautiful architecturally designed home with everything considered, you know, it just has a totally different feel to me.
0: Hundred percent. Look, I mean, very well, you know, summarize this. I think, you know, the difference between an architect and a draft is that of a doctor and a nurse, right? You know, if you need a nurse, you know, for a small bandage, please go ahead, do that. You know, if you are going to get a surgery done, please don't go out and reach out to a nurse. And so, you know, that differential is definitely there. Thank you. F- on coming to the podcast today. This was a lovely conversation. And look, I mean, feel free to reach out to Emma. Uh, she would be on our socials. Emma, do you want to call out as to, you know, what your socials are and where can people reach you?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, it's just at WeAreFormer on Instagram and also www.weareformer.com.au. And if you are someone wanting to look at the social media stuff, then I'm sure you can figure out your way to find that as well. But thank you so much for having me.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much, Emma. Thank you. And look, I mean, if you love the episode or if you have any questions, comments, do drop in into the comments and ask those questions. Reach out to us. Thank you for listening to us again. Keep smiling. Keep investing. Keep safe. This is Moss and Emma checking out. Adios.
1: <laughs> Bye. <laughs>